What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Coast to Coast. I am Ronan Gain, and joining me as always, Christian Nambu. Thank you all very much for making Coast to Coast your first listen for NBA coverage. Remember to check us out on all platforms. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts. You can also watch in full over on our YouTube channel. Just search Coast to Coast NBA. Got a few interesting topics to to talk today. We're going to be talking the two New York teams. Uh, fairly uh, consistent, uh, different things going on with the team. Some inconsistencies with the Knicks and then some drama with the Nets as, as per usual. We're going to do a little player spotlight, highlight some of the individuals who are lighting it up. And we're going to talk about some of our previous takes uh, before the season, uh, mainly Pelicans and Trailblazers. But to start off, as always, a bit of catch and shoot. I'm taking some shots this week. And to start off, I'm going with a one a quote that came out of Jam Morant this week, calling himself and Desmond Bain the best backcourt in the NBA. And I'm just going to, not going to go quite in on that, but I'm going to say those two guys, Bain and Morant, are a top three backcourt. You, you gotta go. You gotta lean into it. Are they? Are they the number one? Are they the number two? Are they the number three? You tell me. That, that that's not a shot. You, you gotta you gotta take a shot. Okay, fine. They are the number two backcourt in the NBA. Okay, then who's the number one? Uh, you just didn't want to give them the number guess, one. <laughs> I guess you gotta give it to Booker and CP3, even though it's heavily, that's what I was thinking. It's heavily Booker, but you probably have to give it to those two. But this this is a little tougher than I thought it would be because, like, I I wanted to immediately say, "Oh my god, yeah!" Like I could see that, especially with the way Bane is shooting. Um, not to do an early spotlight, but dude, he's shooting forty five percent right now from three on eight point five attempts. That's the highest percentage across players taking eight or more threes this year, which. There's actually a lot this year. What about Trey and DeJounte? Where, did they land in that top three? No, I think they're, they're uh, no. somewhere in the five mark. I think I'd put them. Interesting. So Garland and Mitchell. I'd probably go Garland and Mitchell. My 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 heart wants to say uh, Harden, Harden and Maxi, but I just don't Ugh. think they're there. No. I, you, all right, so you're saying... Train DeJounte behind Harden and Maxi. No, I'll go Trey, Trey and DeJounte ahead of Harden and Maxi. So somehow I made this about, about Harden. I don't know how, but <laughs> <laughs> I would I would say I would say that's a bucket. John John being the second backcourt in the league. And that's 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 because of Bane. I mean, that, that's a crazy thing. Like we, we knew that Jao was gonna be that guy. Jao was going to bring um was gonna make any backcourt he was with top ten. But Bane has just been a revelation, especially how much better he's been already this season. We'll, we'll see if that keeps up. I, he can't shoot 45% from three across the year, but that, that's a bucket. Second best backcourt in the league. Maybe ne- maybe the first next year. If you're thinking about who's going to be the best backcourt next year with CP3 aging out, how much better can Booker get? I could see them being the best next year. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And here's a, a bit of a, a more of a hot take then. The Miami okay. Heat... <laughs> will not finish in the top six in the East. It's too early. It's too early. No. No, that's a brick. That, that's a brick. I, I'm never going to bet against the Heat because they always – I feel like they always have slow starts, and they, they just haven't put together a streak yet. They always have – like in the winter after the first couple of months, they always find a way to adjust and make things work. I'm not – 
I'm not going to bet anything on where they're going to end up in the standings until January. And that's probably you're, you're brave for making that, but I, I got to give you a break on that. The, we do not go over after the Miami heat on this podcast <laughs> in the first few weeks of the season. We, we've already learned our lesson not to do that. <laughs> it is usually a mistake, but make a call that like, who will they definitely finish above? Let's say they definitely won't finish above the books and the Celtics. We'll put those two oh. definitely finish. <laughs> okay. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So who like what who are they going to make up the ground on? The Hawks have made a great start. Philly are are right are at the same mark as Miami. Brooklyn are at that mark as well. Who else do they definitely get in a, get in ahead of? I, those three teams. Yeah, I, I I won't confidently bet bet against the Heat against any team except the two that you mentioned, the the Bucks and the Celtics. I I won't because. We we've already seen it time and time again. We've already joked about oh who's who's Max Struess, who's Gabe Vincent, like that's gonna matter. Well, like let's let's give it a little time. I, I think the I think the Heat are every year they prove to us that they can make adjustments and that they can sort things out. And it would be unusual for them to not figure things out. I think it would be more usual for Harden, a Harden team, to not figure things out for a Doc Rivers team to not figure things out, for a Hawks team to not figure things out, for a Nets team to not figure things out. I have way less faith in those teams than I do in the Heat, for sure. Yeah, I think that's it. That's that's very fair. The brick. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, my final one is is rather lukewarm. It's not not very hot at all. But uh, Okay, that's fine. The Charlotte Hornets will continue to tank even when LaMelo Ball comes back. <laughs> this is the coldest take. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, Nick, a lot of Nick Richards, a, a lot of uh, a lot of JT Thor, a lot of uh, a lot of Dennis Smith Jr. How, how about this? That Dennis Smith Jr. is a good backup point guard. That would have been a pretty hot take last year. But he's been good. How about that? How about a positive note here? We, we I love Dennis Smith Jr. coming into the draft. I thought, <laughs> oh God, I, I'm gonna dig up an old take of mine, but I thought he was gonna be like a Derrick Rose light his athleticism and his quickness he just never panned out he never panned out in with the Mavs I thought that would be such a cool pairing kind of like a Cade and Jaden Ivy kind of pairing that they look at now like Luca and Dennis Smith Jr that that's that's my I, I think Dennis Smith Jr the Hornets they're gonna keep taking but that's a that's a cool player to see still make it in this league when he was probably on his way out probably on his way to, to China yeah, yeah, right. Or else uh, the Taiwan following Dwight Howard was Dwight Dwight Howard was Taiwan that he went to. What team did he he signed with some math team, didn't he? I don't know. I think it was the I, I I can't remember. Only thing I can remember is the series of of quotes that he had to the media like, I'm Dwight Howard, I should be on a team. It's like, dude, that definitely can't be helping your case. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's not not really working for him. All right, that's that's gonna do it for catch and shoot for this week. A couple of good ones, and then a and then a lukewarm. A couple of one brick, one bucket, and then a. I don't really know what the last one was. We can't. Really I don't know. You're, you're, you're taking you're taking layups here. You're taking layups. <laughs> are you serious? I, I was I was shooting bombs last time. I was saying like the Pels are gonna make it to the to the third the third round. <laughs> John Boehner, a top 10 backcourt. All right. That's a, <laughs> that's a sick shot. All right. Didn't all know right, we can right. take layups out here. We'll, 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 we'll do better. We'll do better. Let's, <laughs> let's get into, let's get into New York. The, 
They they faced off the other night. The Nets absolutely dominated the Knicks. And let's let's start with them. They made Jackie Vaughn the head coach. They've taken away his interim title. They, it you had to pause there. Like, what is he again? Is he still a head coach? Is he interim head coach? He's the the head head coach. He's the he's the dude. The team is five and seven. They're three and two under him. But is this you hope that this is a real chance for him to go out and show that he deserves to be a head coach in this league? This is his paint his Jews, everything is coming together. But is there also that sign that this is just a sign of the instability that is in Brooklyn? And that's why they didn't take the bigger leak to go out and get a guy like Ime Yudoka or, or Quinn Snyder. That's my question. Why didn't what happened with the whole Ime Yudoka thing? Like Woj doesn't tweet things for nothing. Mm-hmm. There, there wasn't all that noise. They clearly met. They no, not clearly. They did meet. So I'm, I'm not sure what happened there, but that seemed like the perfect hire. And I, I absolutely love this quote. This isn't, the, this isn't the full quote from, from Jack Vaughn, but it gets the message through. He said, "I guess I was the right-in candidate." And then he said, he told his wife, "I may not have been your first choice either, but we've been married 20 years." <laughs> and I, I, I don't know. That, that was the, that was the guy. I, I thought it was a funny quote. Um, shows he's a humble guy. And then you see the pictures of what he looked like back in the uh back in the old nets days with uh with Karis Levert and all that and looked young and spry and now he looks like he's just aged like 30 years but he's he's definitely in for for a challenge here i i don't i i'm really curious what happened in those meetings with Udoka why Quinn Snyder wasn't considered i i think the Quinn Snyder thing you know if it's not about scheme like i don't think we ever had a chance to know what Nash's potential as a coach was to be honest um, when you hear stuff like Kyrie once um, rejected 10 play calls in a row, that's insane. Like, how do, you, how do you coach a team like that? And it's not just a locker room thing, you know, having your stars not respond to you, you're not going to get buy-in from the rest of the team. And we've, we've already talked about this this thing about what the culture will be like. So is Jock Vaughn a culture changer? I I'd have to assume no. Because I mean, he's been the assistant coach there, and I don't think anything will revolutionarily change. Maybe things can shift in a positive direction, but I felt like Yudoka could have been a a, a very big shift. Um, but I don't know. It, it's going to come game to game. That they, they have the talent to win. They have the talent to win on any night. They may not have the defense to win every night, but they do have the the offensive talent to win any night. Um, but I just don't see – this is nothing against Jock Vaughn, but I feel like there needed to be a big shakeup to figure something out, just like they did in Boston. Yeah, I mean, it, it really kind of just feels like they're giving KD, and mainly KD, but also kind of Kyrie what they wanted there. You kind yeah. of feel they're, just gonna, they're happy now. They're going to have probably more control without a, a big name coming in, trying to mix things up. They're going to get to do what they want. That's kind of – the feeling that you get with uh with Jock Vaughn get get getting the job here, but ho- hopefully it's not like that. Hopefully he can put his style on this team. Hopefully he can get get the chance to get an honest showing that arguably Steve Nash did not get, and uh, that he can uh that he can help move the team forward because we know we know that the the talent's there. But uh maybe maybe Steve Nash should go in and uh 
across the across the uh, across the way in New York in the with the Knicks. Maybe that that could be his uh his next gig because I mean the Knicks haven't started terribly, but the uh, Tom Thibodeau. I, I was so annoyed when he got that extension when they were or they don't even know it was an extension. They just decided they were going to be bringing him back. He just doesn't feel like a coach that's at the level of the the modern way of the NBA today for me. That's what, that's what I was seeing looking at it. Yeah, the, the I think my problem with him has always been that the minutes distribution, whether it's playing your starters too much, even when they're playing well, like keeping them in and games are winning, whether it's not giving young guys time. That's always been my biggest issue with him. Um, obviously there's pretty big exceptions to that. Like your, your Jimmy Butler's and your Joachim Noah's, but I, I feel like he specifically giving minutes to Randall when Randall is playing like crap, when Randall's not carrying on defense, that's, that's not good. I mean, your, your identity is defense and you got hungry players behind him. Like that there's, there's a healthy equilibrium to having competition on a roster and having players earn it and not breaking a player's trust in like where they are in the roster, you know, like that's a tough balance that like coaches have to to walk a fine line. Um, and also in order to develop your players, they need time, but he just doesn't do it at all. Like he just, he just completely divests all his interest into the players that he's promised. And I think Randall is, is a big reason for that. Like, I don't know why he continues to, why Randall continues to be like a, a cornerstone of this team. I, th- I think is his role should have clearly been reduced at some point last year. And I think, you know, th- there needs to be a legitimate conversation about like giving Obi Toppin a chance. Yeah. Like the, the guy who's actually going to space the floor, the guy who I think is, is a much better off ball player, much, much, but I mean, it, that's a total understatement. I think that well, what is Randall even as an off ball player? What does he do? Nothing. Nothing. Like, <laughs> like Toppin is, is, is is screening and rolling he's pick and popping he's spotting into the corner he's he's great at finding seams to cut through and i, and I think a lot of you know if, you, if you're pointing at inconsistencies in, in a guy like toppin's game it's like how often has he had the chance to just be comfortable on the floor like i feel like a player like that would blossom in a place where it's like hey this is your role this is the amount of minutes you're gonna get you're gonna get this every night because you are you're a player that we believe in that we're gonna develop Instead of always like, I think there's this cloud of playing under a guy like Thibodeau where you're not the guy yet and you're just in constant danger of just getting pulled. If you do the wrong thing, you're going to get pulled. You're going to put in Randall, put in Robinson. And what happens when Robinson comes back? Like when he's, when he's full time, he's full minutes. There's just not enough minutes for young guys like, like Toppin to, to kind of develop. And that's, I think that's been the disappointing thing that I've noticed. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, I, I, Admittedly, it's only slight now, but this year it's actually Barrett who is playing the most minutes and and taking the most shots in uh for the for the Knicks so far this year. Uh it's only slight, but I I do like that that he's putting that bit more emphasis on on Barrett. But at the same time, it does still feel like Randall is his his main guy. He's the the guy for Tom Thibodeau, and I I just don't like. I just don't believe that Randall is ever gonna be. A cornerstone guy who's gonna lead the team to playoffs year year on year, or at least be close to that level. 
in my in my head I, I wish that they had got rid of him. I don't know who for, but I would like a, a year or two for this team to try and develop with Brunson and, and Barrett leading the way. Neither of those are guys who are at a stage in their career where they absolutely have to be at a team that's trying to compete for for high high seeds, uh, playoff contention, things like that. The, like Brunson obviously did it last year with the with uh, the Mavericks, but I think you could give it a year or two where they develop more of the young guys like Top and you see more minutes for like guys like Cam Reddish, like like Jericho Sims, and see if there is something there with the right coach and the right situation, the right opportunities. There might be something better to grow on but as we know the New York Knicks is just a business and the the ownership and the guys in charge they don't really care that much about the success on the court as long as the franchise as a whole and Madison Square Garden is making money that's all that really matters I mean we saw the the valuations came out uh there last week or the week before, uh, yeah. the Knicks and Knicks are number two, valued at six billion. But the Warriors are number one, and they have a nice balance of making money but also having success on the court. Why the hell can't that happen in New York? The the net gain though has got to be way higher for New York, and the uh, the tax that uh, the Warriors are paying out there, luxury tax. That's that's got to be cutting pretty far into it, but. Um, I just, it's so weird to me that you think about the players that you gave Tibbs, gave him a guy like Cam Reddish, you drafted a guy like, uh, Quentin Grimes, Jericho Sims looks like a really great versatile, uh, defender, um, in the front court and guys like that, I I feel like could seamlessly develop under a guy who's such a defense first kind of guy like Tibbs and, and find an identity in defense and really find key roles but it's I think stagnation is is something that we definitely look at when we evaluate coaches. Not necessarily that maybe their system is bad or maybe that it just doesn't vibe with the players, but there's something about stagnation. Eventually a lack of like vision in a system and, and something that players can grow into, like something that we are already seeing in Utah. Like there, there's something about that. There's something about like putting a team together and guys knowing their roles and playing together, that you just see it on the court. You see that in Utah, even if they weren't winning games right now, like the way that they play is seamless. And like we saw with the Pelicans when Willie Green went in, like the way that they play is seamless. And we're going to talk about the Blazers too. Like the way that they're playing right now, it's pretty seamless. Like there's, there's a confidence about the players and doing what they're doing. And there's something that trickles down from the coaching, from a system, from a culture that empowers players to do that, that, hasn't happened consistently in New York, which is unfortunate because I, I love Tibbs as a coach in, in uh, Chicago. I thought things would really turn around after a couple of years ago with the Knicks, but they need a shakeup. So, something needs to change here. I believe in the players. I believe in the talent. I think they're going to be valuable players if you traded them somewhere, but it's just not – the vibes are off, I guess we could say. Yeah, we've been saying that a lot, and it's certainly it's certainly true in New York. I mean, we've seen it with, with Tibbs. Obviously, he came in year one – his whole philosophy, the defense first, the hard work, the 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 committing to your starters, it worked for that season. He he won he won coach of the year. Randall was most improved player. They they got back to the playoffs. But ever since then, it started in that playoff series against the Hawks. It's just slowly been on a downward spiral, getting getting worse and worse. 
obviously at the moment it's just kind of steadyish. They're they're six and six. They're they're seventh in the in the East. They're eighteenth in offensive rating, seventeenth in defense rating. It's all just kind of middle of the pack stuff. But the craziest thing is they're giving up three pointers for fun. This is a three point shooting <laughs> league now. Yeah. The Knicks are giving them up like no one's gonna hit them. Like it's ridiculous. They're they're last in the league in terms of opponents' three points attempts. They're twenty six in terms of opponent three points made, and they're just offering those opportunities to teams. And most teams around there, they've got shooters. They're built to take advantage of the three. So why the hell are you wanting to give them an extra advantage by leaving them wide open? I I just cannot I cannot understand that at all. Yeah, it's so easy to make Randall just a a scapegoat, but like. You know, even for someone like me who doesn't pay like a ton of attention to the Knicks night in, night out, like you do, like if you just watch one game, I mean, the person you see the most missing rotation, falling asleep, and that—that's—I mean, that—that's what will break a defense. Like good defenses, everyone is constantly locked in. Everybody on the floor like moves as one, knows where to rotate, and like knows what to do, and is not just like floating around. I feel like Randall is like constantly the guy who's who's at fault for wandering around, not, not being in the right place, right time. And that in a league of great shooters, like you said, like that, that doesn't hold up and teams know it. Teams know how to get to their shots, but I mean, this hasn't been very much of a next therapy session. What, what can go right? What, what can go right by the end of the season? I mean, just, just start seeing a nice flow between, between Barrett and Brunson. I think that's the main thing that, especially if Tibbs is there for the entire year, mm-hmm. that's the only thing you can realistically expect to start to start to see. And and if both guys can get that a little bit more efficient as well at the moment, uh, they're playing fairly solidly. Barrett's averaging 20 points, six boards, three assists. Brunson, 20 points, seven assists and a steal. But efficiency-wise, it, it, it's been pretty, pretty lackluster. So... If that can go in a, in an upward trajectory heading uh, for the rest of the season and they're in at least in competition to be in the playing tournament, that's kind of all that's all the, the the hope that I've got that I got for this year. Yeah. You talk about ownership. I mean just think about it. Like it for, for ownership to to change anything, like you'd have to have a lot of balls to walk into Tibbs office and say, you're fired. <laughs> like you gotta really care. Like it's not they're not like firing Terry Stotts. Like you were firing Tom Tibbet. You were looking Tom Tibbet on the eyes and saying, You are not doing a good job. See you later. That, <laughs> that takes a lot. So if if there's even a hint of apathy, you're not you're just you're not gonna do it. Like and that that's not gonna change because ah man. And you, you mentioned the the year where where Randall is MIP and Bing Bong back to the playoffs. I haven't seen enough Bing Bong on Twitter, man. That tw- Twitter has been dead ever since the Knicks have been bad. The world has fallen apart. You notice that <laughs> the world has fallen apart. Look, look around. Look at everything is crashing down as as the Knicks have have fallen into mediocrity, sub mediocrity, and the, the, we need the Knicks back. Yeah, I'm, I'm one of the biggest advocates. I want the I want I want the Knicks back too. But uh, that's that, that's a, that's enough. That's enough Knicks. That's enough pain for me to talk about. <laughs> Let's talk about two teams that are a little bit more exciting, and and we'll go back on a on a couple of comments we made before the season. We had a bit of a hot take on the Pelicans and their their rise this year. We haven't quite seen it of yet, but 
the the signs are definitely good. The vibes are definitely good in New Orleans. Yeah, I I think that you know you watch them and you see you see the potential there, and they, they they've put that together in certain stretches of games where they're. I mean, they are still their top five offense, and I, they don't look like a top five offense at times. They they have stretches of it, but they can't consistently do it. And I think that's more an example of a team that will figure things out. You'll see a lot of times where it's a little bit your turn, my turn. It's it's Zion just trying to get in and, and bully his way into a bucket. Not a whole lot of movement around him. Then Brandon Ingram getting his butt. And both those guys by themselves, by themselves can create that. But Zion's in like triple teams. And Brandon Ingram's getting doubled. He's, he's taking tough contested jumpers. And it's great to see that, especially in games where CJ is having a tough time because CJ being their third best offensive player, is, that's a pretty nice privilege. But I think it hasn't been totally seamless game in, game out. That's a, that's a thing that you'll see them adjust to. So I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not pulling back on my prediction, but it's not not everything is coming into place perfectly. And that, I think it's going to be interesting to watch, interesting to see them grow together and to figure out ways that they can play off of each other. Because there's no reason why why Zion should be getting triple team in the paint and Trey Murphy's not getting open three. I mean, he is getting a lot of open threes. I mean, that that he is... Um, I think moving forward and on this team going to be one of the best three-point shooters in the league. But I think there's so much more potential for them to improve. And I think the only thing that I'm concerned about long-term is still the defense. Zion needs to get better defensively. Um, he can't get picked on. That's That can't be a thing. Picking on Zion on the perimeter, he needs to get better there. Um, he needs to be in position more. Maybe he needs to be put more of like an off-ball um, roaming kind of defender but that takes more buy-in from him to be a lot more savvy on the defensive end that's that's something that's that's helped when you have Larry Nance on the floor helping them there um JV has been just steady steady for them but I, I think there's if you look at it overall there's still some growth to be had yeah yeah 100 percent. obviously they've had the the fairly steady enough start I mean six and six you've you'd probably would have expected a bit better given the the games that they have but you're watching it all the time like you said the offense has popped multiple times and it looks ready to just really pop off on a consistent basis. They're just that little bit of, I don't know, it's momentum or confidence away from getting that. It's the two-way flow. We're not really seeing enough of that. And and it's it does start with Zion. Unfortunately, with the Pels, <clears throat> you look at it and you think Ingram is still always likely and almost going to commonly have those games where he's just not really at it at all and he's only going to put up like 10 or 12 points and, and, and things like that. Whereas Zion, it's happened a couple of times this year, but I think he's right on the cusp of getting getting the touch back, getting the feel back after missing that whole year. And he's going to be back to the offensive threat that we saw the pre, the what was that, the 2020-21 season where he was just an absolute monster so i think that's gonna help on see a, a more consistent basis for the for the offense but yeah like you said hopefully when when zion gets back to that and he's at his peak on the offensive end which is obviously the the most important thing we we think about when we think of zion we think about the game changing uh player in your team you want him being that elite offensive threat and you hope once he gets back to that top level that then you start with the defense. He can commit more. They can put him in situations to be better. 
And then the kind of pressure comes on to really show Zion to show that he's a star in this league by becoming more of a consistent presence on, on both ends of the floor. Yeah. And I, I think that's while well, seeing the offense get to its height, I, I think the the thing I'm concerned about is is the fit with Ingram, if if that's the case. If if offense is really just going to be the, the biggest thing and defense is just going to be kind of the the back burner thing, like once you figure out your offense again. Because you can't have them both on the court if that's the case. Because I, I I feel like Brandon Ingram has been better as a defender. But when you look offensively, he's the most comfortable when he has a ball in his hands and he's able to get in a rhythm. He's able to size guys up. He's able to post someone up and then get to his uh, opposite shoulder. He's, he's able to just get into his back, I guess you'd say. Because as an off-ball player, he's not been great. And that maybe that's something that needs to change. Brandon Ingram needs to become a better off-ball player. Um, because expecting Zion to be a good defender out of nowhere is is expecting a lot. But I, someone needs to evolve in terms of what they're doing offensively. CJ probably should be a better catch-and-shoot player. Brandon Ingram should be a better catch-and-shoot player. Those guys need to um, change then if Zion's going to be the focal point. Because um, I think Zion's still an excellent – he's still an excellent off-ball player. He can he can screen. He's not spotting out, but he's definitely still getting active on the boards. But you can't have series where, like Zion or Ingram are giving up a bucket, and then on the other end, one of them just standing around while the other one is just, just waiting for them to do something. That possessions like that are a little more concerning than than what we've we've seen throughout the season. But again, I'm I'm still hopeful. I'm, I'm still hopeful. I, I think these guys are very versatile. I think that Willie Green's a great coach. I think they still have one of the deepest teams in the West, maybe too deep. But um, they they had a really interesting matchup uh, on Friday. Uh, or was it Thursday? Thursday was my Friday because I had Friday off. So <laughs> I'm a little off here. But the Blazers and Pals. The Blazers is a team that we were interested in, but not nearly as high on compared to the, the Pals. And we're just about as wrong about them as we were about the the Jazz, or maybe we were, no, we were way more wrong about the Jazz. But the Blazers looked really good, man. Like the way they matched up to it with the Pels without really a the sizable front court, and without uh, Dame, without Sharp, this team looks legit. Now you got to say, I mean, it, it's when you know a team is in a good <laughs> flow and it. Although the the vibes are good that when you can be without Damian Lillard and you can rely on Jeremy Grant and Anthony Simons to to step up and be the lead guys, but also you're gonna get contributions from guys like like Josh Hart, like like Nurkic and different things like that. They've got into a flow here and I don't really see them slowing down. Yeah, they're not gonna. They're they're nine and three now. They're probably not gonna stay quite at that rate for the entire season. But they're in the they're in the mood. They're in the flow. They're the second best record in the Western Conference. And you look at it, Jazz and the Blazers. Jazz and the Blazers. Like <laughs> it's just crazy to think about. But I don't see where this is slowing down. I, I see this only getting better as the season goes on. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And and I should have added this to our catch and shoot. Um, because it just came in my head. I'm so so happy still to to see how um Justice Winslow is operating on this team. Mm-hmm. Is Justice Winslow better than Ben Simmons right now? 
Sure isn't everyone better than Ben Simmons right now. Well, <laughs> like, <laughs> like would <laughs> I, okay, like right, but like that that's a statement then, not not a take. That that's just a statement. That's a fact. Mm-hmm. That's I, somehow I always find my way back to being sad about Ben Simmons being bad at basketball. Um, it happens every time. I need to stop. It's I need help. Um, but on the positive note, he's a legit small ball point center. Like he's taking the ball to the floor. He's making great passes, great passes. Um, and you can use him in the short roll. And then the way that they have cutters to work around that, like I, I didn't think that was going to be like a big focal point for them, but having justice Winslow in the short roll and having guys like Nasir Little, Josh Hart, Jeremy Grant, Anthony, so the guys who are great slashers around him. I, I didn't think that that was going to be a way that they can generate offense, but there's so many answers now besides Dame. And that's why I agree with you. Like, I think it's going to get better. Like there are so many more ways that you can attack other teams besides Dame, just breaking defenses down and being Dame. Like you can run some offense through Winslow. You can run some ISO with Grant, with Simons. Um, Simons is who's, in top five and three point attempts this year. That's been an amazing part of his game is just how confident he is shooting a three, but also he hasn't fully tapped into his ability to get downhill. He's just starting to get confident with his body. And I think we saw that with that kind of evolution with guys like Zach Levine, how they got more confident, um, not just as shooters, but now that they've created that space as a shooter, guys have to get out onto them. Now they're realizing like how, powerful they can be getting downhill to the rim. Like he had a few drives against the, the Pels where, you know, he was just taking threes, taking threes, taking threes. And he's like, all right, I'm going to attack this closeout, get inside. And he can elevate over anyone. Like he um, had one play where he attacked baseline off of a rebound and just tried to jump over Nurkic and pretty much did. He got fouled. And then it was like that light bulb went off in his head. And then he just did it two more times. And like Nurk just had to follow him because he couldn't get high enough. And Simons is so we forget he was in it. He was a dunk contest guy. Like he's an electric athlete. That's a guy who can still take another jump besides all the shooting that he's done, besides all the shot creation. Like he can definitely be a way better finisher around the rim. Were you just saying that Nurkic was failing Simons? Oh, not, uh, not, not Nurkic. <laughs> JV. Dude, they're such similar. <laughs> Matt Valentinus couldn't could jump up. Uh, neither of those guys can jump. They're both Eastern European. They're both massive humans. It's really tough to tell them apart. Both of them take threes for no reason. Um, it's They're basically the same person, JV and, and Nurkic, except Nurkic can't stay healthy. And he didn't even play that game. He had a really nice suit, though. That, that's what he's really good at recently. He's putting on nice suits and not playing basketball. But I digress. Uh, <laughs> Anthony Simons, though, that's that's a huge point where they could get a lot better. Yeah, I mean, Anthony Simons, he, he's like, obviously, Dame is just being Dame so far this year. He's averaging 29 points, five, five assists, 48, 41 shooting splits. And then you look at Simons, and he's averaging 22 points and four assists, but it's rather inefficient. He's at 42 and 36 splits. And you think he's been a 40% three-point shooter. Obviously, he's taken way higher volume this year. But that number could definitely edge up a bit. And as he gets more comfortable attacking the rim, you're going to see that that uh, the field goal percentage rise as well. And you, you think there's a lot of development that we could see, not only in the future, which we, I think we expect, but this year alone, especially with the, the way the the team is likely going to function with those games where Dame does sit out 
and then it's like Simons' offense then. It's going to be really, really interesting to watch watch him grow as this season goes on. Yeah, and um, shout-out to Nasir Little, too. Yeah. Like... <laughs> this is this is uh this is where we kind of get deep on this podcast. Maybe you know we don't always spotlight the 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 biggest things ever, and I you allow me to just bring up random people like this. But to, I mean, to Blazers fans, I don't think Nasir Little is random because to see Nasir Little put the ball on the floor and and make just a, a straight line drive, uses quick first step. Nasir Little's got a surprising quick first step. Like he's not he doesn't have a lot in the bag. Like he's he's not really crossing people up. But now that he's got a quick trigger as a shooter he hasn't got there yet as like an elite three-point shooter yet or anything like that but he confidently shoots it like the he's not waiting he's not thinking and that's that's coaching for me too like i think we talk a lot about coaching this podcast but chauncey bills having the chance to show he's a good coach like how confident a guy is in his shot sometimes that's just the guy just shooting but everyone on this team when they're in the flow of the game they're pulling the trigger. And to see Nasir Little, a guy who's not been confident in a shot, have the ball come his way. It's the right place and time in, in the way that the flow of the offense is. And he just takes it. He just pulls the trigger. And now he's translating that to using his quick first step, getting to the rim. Dude, he's he's a big guy. Like he's like you, it's easy to confuse him and Jeremy Grant because like they they're very large people. <laughs> and with his speed too, like getting to the rim. I want to say he's he's shooting over seventy percent at the rim. I I got to double check that before I just start spreading fake news. But um, he's another guy too that even just in his role is developing as a legitimately good role player for what he does. And defensively too, like collectively as a unit, I mean I, that has to be one of the craziest things for me. I, I thought they'd be good, they'd be get better defensively, and it would like work out throughout the year. But they're seventh in defensive rating. Without like a set, like your Nurkic has missed how many games now already? No, I haven't even looked, but yeah, it definitely, it definitely is uh, probably as close to it or as many as Dame. Watford is six, seven, I think. Eubanks is six, nine, six, ten. Eubanks looks like, like a beast inside sometimes, but without having a true center and just throwing out all these big wings out there, they are tough. And they play tough, and that that's the identity I think that that Bills bring to this team. That is, that is all they've ever wanted to surround Dame with. And like we said, I think we maybe we didn't go hard enough on our take uh, earlier on in the season, but that's transformative for for a Dame team to have a team deep full of big wings who commit to defense that can play offense in different ways, like true versatility that can actually confidently shoot. Maybe they're not a lead at it, but they're they're actually shooting. Like that's. That's something that I, I agree. They're going to get better throughout the season. Maybe they're not going to be the second team in the league, but um, just like we make our way back to Ben Simmons every podcast, we make our way back to the Lakers. And this teams like this, teams like the Jazz and and the uh, the Blazers are going to make it near impossible for the Lakers to make the playoffs at this rate. Oh yeah, that's uh, I think that's that's something we have to make call a given at this stage. But uh, final point on it: who finishes higher in the West, Pelicans or Blazers? Oh, the pals. I, the ah, oh. then Dame's healthy. I don't know. I I still I still think the the pals have have the edge in my mind. Just of, offensively, I, I I don't know how. I don't think the Blazers finish seventh in defensive rating. I don't think they they finish middle of the pack in in paint defense. I 
there's just no way that they can do that if if Nurkic is still this unhealthy. I I got to think that the Pelicans have a lot more room to grow than the the Blazers do, but it'll be close. I mean, they they could be neck to neck, neck and neck. Yeah, I agree. I think they'll be neck and neck, but I I think I'm gonna give the edge the edge to the Blazers because I believe that they are gonna they're gonna keep on getting better as the season goes on. It will it'll be tight. Both teams will the 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 uh the Pelicans will probably arguably win more games from this point on, but I still think that'll be it'll be quite tight. Bro, you, you we're already flipping. It's been three weeks. I don't, changing... I, I don't know. I, I didn't say I was flipping. I know I didn't say anything like that now, but uh I'd like to be wrong on this podcast. It's what we do best, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we, we gotta we gotta get to our player spotlight. Um but I'll just I'll just make this first. I'll make I'll make this question quick. Are are you worried about the Mavs at all? Dropping a game against the Magic, then dropping a game against the Wizards. Luca shooting under thirty five percent in the fourth this year. A little a little bit. It kind of feels like they need Luca to be scoring thirty plus to win games. Yep. But also fact. they didn't have Christian Wood in that game, which was a. Or in either of those games, and that is it does have a big impact on what they can produce off the bench. So a little bit Spencer of Spencer Dinwiddie shooting like a million percent in those <laughs> two games. That, that that does help, but uh, yeah, a little bit of worry, but I'm not going to be panicking at the moment. Yeah, I'm not panicking. I when you're getting pretty much nothing from Tim Hardaway Jr. and but you're getting such like Dinwiddie shooting. Got fifty over fifty percent from three on those on those two games. Just absolute heater, um, and then Luca is averaging his highest usage percentage. That's what's shocking to me. Like they they were really good last year, having Brunson and Dinwiddie being taking the load off of him. And then there's this idea that you know there is an untapped potential for Luca to be an off ball player. Maybe that even helps him with his his shooting. But for him to have a thirty nine percent usage rating, I think that's 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 Russell Westbrook level, like peak Russell Westbrook. And you got other guys on this team who I think could be creators, but they just haven't shown it. I, I'm worried long term though. I, I am. I don't think Luca get Luca already looks tired. Mm-hmm. He looks tired. Yeah, he looked really tired against against the Magic. They gave they went in too much uh, late against the Magic in the in the third quarter, especially. They were putting him into isolation plays, and he was shooting terribly. the The Magic were defending well, but he was shooting terribly, and they they still consistently put him in isolation. I know it's Luka Doncic. He uh, you always believe that he's going to score when he gets someone one on one, but the way he was playing, they have to have more options with their offense. I do think Christian Wood would have would have helped, but yeah, there is there is that bit of worry there. You, you, that's where it goes back to, like we said. For this team to be a truly consistent competitor, there is still there is still moves that need to be made within the the makeup of the roster. Yeah, um, and the defense too is the last point on that. I'm just a little worried about it that they are really working hard to prevent threes. They're first in opponents three points made and attempted, only ninth in opponent three point percentage, but they are twentieth in opponents uh, points in the paint. And you really see that, especially against teams like the the Wizards who. Have a lot of wings. So you spread out that that Mavs defense, and th- these wings can get through the seams, get to the paint. And for a team that's running two bigs out there, like allowing that that amount um, of points in the paint, 
I, I wonder if this is a sustainable defense. Like, how about running, scrambling, a scrambling defense when you got Luca out there, when you got two bigs out there? I mean, Kleber and, and Powell, they are, are great, versatile bigs. But a lot of was asked of them last season. A lot of shooting luck helped them at the end of last season. I think this is the regression that we're looking to see. I, if they're a middle-of-the-pack defense and Luca is, is approaching 40% usage, I that's not a championship level team. No, no, I, I I'd agree with that. Yeah, that's 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 a fact. I think it's 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 time that they get Davis Bertans back in there. <laughs> <laughs> that's what needs to change. They, they need they need Davis Bertans. Um, they need Josh Green to say on oh, no, a legit no. They need they need a guy like Josh Green to 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 pop. He's he look a little bit more confident, and they need Tim Hardaway Jr. to 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 do more. Those guys need to do more. Luca needs to do less. And uh, eventually, I don't think things will change. They, they just need to diversify their offense more. But um, let's get to a player spotlight. Who, who, do you, who do you got? Who do we who do we want to spotlight here on Coast to Coast? Uh, uh, one guy, we got to give it to him. We don't like to talk about them in a positive note too much, the Sacramento Kings. But De'Aaron Fox has been awesome this year. I mm-hmm. mean, he's really looking like a an all NBA level guard for the for the Sacramento Kings. He's averaging twenty six points, five boards, six assists, very efficient, 55, 37, 86 splits. His team are five and six. They've uh, they after starting zero and four, so they've been on a pretty good run of late. And he's been the lead guy of that. Last night he had another great game against the Lakers, which obviously isn't too hard to do, but. It was still really <laughs> impressive. It's 32, 7, and 12. It was a really great performance, and he's looking like the guy we expected him to probably be a year or two ago, but if this is here to stay, Darren Fox is, is finally starting to pop off. Yeah, I I I feel like more confident also, and that the contract of this team is that they're not getting blown out. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not they're not having blowouts. And there's there's a confidence about De'Aaron Fox this year, which I I can't help but shake this feeling that it's a damn shame that he couldn't have this with Halliburton. Yeah. It's yeah. a damn shame. Those two right now, I mean look look what Halliburton's do, what what he's doing in Indiana. Weird. Like that that could have been you know, we're talk we were talking about Ja. And uh, Desmond Bain, Darren Fox, and Halliburton. You wait six months. Like I, I think I'd be throwing them in this conversation. Hold on, I want to. I want to talk about Tyrese Halliburton, Darren Fox being the top five backcourt. I keep thinking about that. Like Darren Fox having a a crummy year, just not looking himself. I don't know if that's because Halliburton was on the rise. But that definitely culminated to the very rash decision to trade Halliburton for Sabonis. But maybe Sabonis is unlocking Aaron Fox. That requires a deeper look. Maybe that that's that's a big part of of what this uh, this emergence is for Fox. But to think about what those two guys could be doing together right now, it's uh it's tough. 
Yeah, yeah, it's certainly tough, but uh, sorry, how did I turn that into a negative? Let's just, let's just talk. <laughs> no, let's Fox just doing great. Player highlight. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Fox being red hot. Fox looking, being great. He's, he's looking awesome. like Go the Kings. guy. Looking like the guy the Kings drafted. He's looking like the dude there now. <laughs> I that was not intentional. The boxes looked great. It's it's exciting to finally see him uh, be where he needs to be for this team. He's he's not. I feel like he hasn't met expectations in three years. He's been below expectations, and to see him finally be to be there, um, not to be a good player, but be a star player, that's that's awesome. Um, <laughs> all right, I promise I'll find a way to keep it positive with our next spotlight. Okay, <laughs> that's what this is supposed to be. Um, Shay, let's talk about Shay. Gotta talk about Shay. Um, we never use we never use per. Um, I don't love per, but it's it's a pretty lazy way to rank players, and it works for the most part. Um, so. Since we're talking Shay, let's talk about the fact that he's fifth in PER. Fifth. He's ahead of um, Tatum and just a smidge behind Jokic. That's a company he's in when we're talking about efficiency. Right now, he's shooting 57% from the field on 30 points per game, 69% in the paint. You got to love that percentage. Third in isolation scoring, first in free throw percentage. And he's third in steals, top 20 in assists, top five in scoring. Two steals per game, 1.5 blocks. Like, where did this come from? And like, the team is five and seven as well, which means yeah. contributing to winning, which is huge. Yeah, absolutely. And defense is there, the offensive there. Is he the best player who hasn't made an all-star game yet? Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, pro- I'd probably say I'd probably say that he Answer is. Answer is yes. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I was thinking about this last year, like if if he doesn't get injured last year, there's a very strong case that he makes it over DeJounte Murray in the All-Star game. And this jump in uh in scoring too, like we we see a lot, like I, I don't I don't wanna jinx uh Bane here, but his jump in scoring seems to be a lot a lot of that is, I mean, just do the math, like he's taking more threes and he's shooting 45%. That's that's maybe that's not a sustainable number, but Shea has always been able to get to his spots. He's always been able to navigate pick and roll so well. And he's doing everything within four or five feet of the bucket. He's doing everything in the uh, mid-range. He's only shooting 33% from three, averaging 30 points per game. So like he hasn't even hit a stride yet from three. Not that he's ever been a, a elite shooter, but everything he's doing, I think, is totally sustainable. He's doing it without like any elite talent to, to really um, hide him on offense. And Giddy, I mean, maybe we're talking about this as a as a future um, top five backcourt because if Shea can be an on ball reliable on ball creator night in night out, and you can allow Giddy to do what he does best and to be a facilitator, and you know he can figure out his off ball role as well. I think that that's going to be. That's gonna be a really interesting pairing to monitor moving forward. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I'm really, really excited about them, and I'm even more excited to see uh, to see Shane Giddy getting to play with with Chet Holmgren yeah. next year. It's a uh, it's a blow. We 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 don't get to see it this year, but Shay just he, he's been he's been balling out, and if he even can jump that like three point stance, he's certain thirty three at the moment. If he's around the 34, 35 mark in three point percentage come the end of the year. You know he's been he's sustained a really a really great season. He'll he will have been an all star, and uh, 
the OKC Thunder would have had a, a probably a surprisingly uh, decent season given the injuries they've gotten and, and the overall makeup of the team and just where they're at, at, at as a franchise at the moment. Question. Whose jumper do you hate more? Halliburton's or Gilders Alexander's? Uh, probably Halliburton's. Uh, they it's close. It is close, but Halliburton's just has that weird look at it. But all you got to say, let's switch over to Tyrese Halliburton. Okay. Another guy who needs a spotlight. <laughs> he he may have the, the most ugly-looking jump shot you'll ever likely to see, but it's working for him. This dude has been unbelievable. I love watching him in Indiana, him and and Matherin. I've loved watching the two of them together. I've loved watching the Pacers as a whole. They're just a fun team going out there, playing hard every night. And Halliburton's been the lead guy of that. 22 points, 5 rebounds, 10 assists per game on 51-45-88 shooting splits. He has been, he's shooting 45%. He's making three three three-pointers a game. He's looking really, really good and really efficient. He's scoring at the right times. He's scoring. He's he's let like he's taking advantage of what the defense is giving him, and that's what all the great point guards do. He's dishing like like a pro. The Pacers are five and six. They're 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 very they've been fairly, fairly solid. Like we said before, they might only be a piece or two away from having a legit roster, especially with the the growth we're going to see from Halliburton and from Matherin and other young guys within that team. But Tyrese, he's one of my, one of my biggest assets in fantasy and he's (laughs) falling out on the court night after night. Did you think he'd be the better Tyrese this year? You have both of them. I do have both of them. I I knew he'd be more, he was always going to do be a a scorer and an assister. Whereas Maxi was more likely to be the, just a scorer. Yeah, that's that's a that's top fantasy analysis here from running game. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but dude, he's le- he's leading the league in assists, leading the league in assists. Um, I'm really not going to bring up the Kings. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Um, he's leading the league in assists, and he's top ten in steals. He's top twenty in three point uh, percentage. Like this is. But if you if you just close your eyes, you don't look at the jumper. Like he's he's the modern point guard. Yeah. Long. You can play off ball. He can facilitate at an elite level, top five level. I, I didn't I didn't think that I didn't think that we'd be talking about him as as a top five uh facilitator. I was gonna say point guard, but facilitator in the league. That that is that is a development that I I think it also speaks to the Pacers system. I think they are really honed in on getting as many three-pointers as they can, and they just whip the ball around, and Tyrese Halliburton is a, is a big point of emphasis on that. Are, are they leading the league in three-point attempts? I think they are. Well, uh, I'm not sure. I'd, I'd have to, have to look I'll, at I'll, I'll fact-check myself. You do, but you I know, do, I know you have something to say. I know. What are we talking now? Is it the, the different things that we're going to see in the growth of Halliburton and, and other guys? I, I just love the situation I mentioned before. I just love the situation that he's in in Indiana. He just gets to go out and figure out exactly the type of player he is and, and put himself into conversations for, for All-Star and different things like that. He, he's going to be right up there when we're thinking of first-time All-Stars this year. We've already talked about uh, SGA and Halliburton's gonna be gonna be right up there too. It's gonna be gonna be a 
an interesting battle. It's going to be interesting to see how many first-timers we have as All-Stars this year. Yeah. Can we just get Harden out of the All-Star game for once? Um, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, 40.5. Three-pointers attempted per game. 40.5. They're tied with Boston, 40.5. Golden State, 40.3. Utah, 40. We go all the way down. New Orleans is last in the league at 28. That's what I'm talking about. Too many, too many mid-rangers from CJ and, and Ingram. They need more threes. That's fascinating. And that that kind of goes in line with um, you know, I was I was looking at the at the numbers from from Bain. So I was like, wow, 8.5 attempts. That's like really high. That's like Steph Curry level. Steph Curry's taking over 10. And you look at everybody else. Like the if you look five years ago, Steph Curry is leading the league in three-pointer. Three pointers attempted, a ten or and ten point five, I think, um, and, and like it was a top five, six, seven that were averaging like eight, nine. You look now, it's like the top twelve, the top thirteen, fourteen, are all shooting like eight or more, and the the top five are shooting like over ten. It's insane. I I feel like it, I I don't want to complain about it, but there, there's something refreshing about watching. The, the Bulls sometimes that you see a balance with DeMar DeRozan, you don't see that. Like you, you watch other teams, like there, there is, there is the the movement that like you see what they do in Indiana, and I think it's it actually works. They do really well to to push defenses to defend the paint and then throw the ball out and really whip the ball around. So that looks great, but the amount of three point shooting sometimes is it's it feels like a little too much. I don't know. Am I, am I I'm not even an old school NBA guy, but sometimes it feels like a, a lot, a lot of uh, just chucking from three, especially in the early season. Yeah, yeah, it, it can look like that sometimes. It, it it always looks worse when teams are forcing themselves to do it when they don't look comfortable doing it. That's when it, you kind of feel like it, it's a, uh, it's that little bit, that little bit too much. But for for the most part, when when you find the right groove of uh of mid rangers uh, attacking the paint and uh, and three pointers. That's that's when you know you have success, and that's when it's it's really fun to watch. Where do you, where do you think a team like uh Portland lands in three pointers attempted with Dame? Well, I know with, uh, Simons, Simon's is averaging over ten a game, so they got to be top five. They are twenty fifth. Wow, thirty one attempts per game. They're 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 more. It, you you watch them and there's there are times out there where they have like Jeremy Grant, Josh Hart, Watford, and then like a the, Nasir Little, and you're like, who's gonna shoot here? Who's gonna? And it's they they're constantly hunting for a good look inside, and then it eventually just gets to the outside. And who's gonna shoot that? Nasir Little, I guess, will pull, but they don't have they don't have a lot of shooters. That that's that was interesting to me because I, I thought they would have been definitely top ten, but surprising. Where do you think Denver would be? This is this is surprising. I kind of just gave it away. <laughs> so Denver are, are are rather are rather low too, are they? Twenty third. This is another one shocking. Where do you think Atlanta would be? I would expect them to be top ten, but I guess they're they're down they're there too. They're twenty seventh. Wow. So really interesting to see the the early the early going. So like our, I mean Utah is not surprising. Like that that's the shocking development of of them is not just how good they've been, but how well they've shot from three, 
which has brought them a lot of success. But th- this one will blow your mind. This is my last one. Where do you think uh, Milwaukee is? Top, top 10. Yeah, they're they're fifth. Mm-hmm. They're fifth. I, I I would not have expected that either. But anyways, what what uh what what a rabbit hole. Sorry, I, I just pulled this down into. That, I haven't done it in a while. A lot of them. It's been, it has been a while. It has to, <laughs> it has to happen uh, at least uh, at least every podcast. But uh, the the player spotlight is the more is the more important thing. You got any other guys you want to want to give a shout out to? Um, I was, I was going to be respectful to, to Shay and just spotlight one guy. So I guess you just split your spotlight into two guys. So it's half, I, I, half I, I, a spotlight I, I, for Halliburton, <laughs> half spotlight for Fox. That was intentional. You, you, you meant for me to, to, uh, to go down on the, the, the Kings. You, yeah, you knew it was going to happen. You knew it was going to happen. Get that double vibe there. You know, the, the way, uh, the way it's actually worked out with the, the trades and everything. Yeah. <laughs> You secretly managed to make this for for the Kings fans to feel bad. That that's what this was. This wasn't a spotlight. This was just to be like, hey, look at these guys be awesome, and they're both not on your team. That's what you were doing. Don't. What are you talking about? Come on, man. Darren Fox is balling out. I know. They they, they just got to enjoy that. Kings yeah. fans, they got to take they got to take whatever whatever they can get when they, when it's a, when it's a positive vibe. And long may it continue because Fox is there. Fox is looking like a, fu- a fun talent to watch night in, night out. But uh, I think that's gonna do it for today's episode. Uh, we're out of out of our rabbit hole. We're gonna we're gonna finish it off. Well, thank you all very much for listening. I'm Ronan Game. My thanks to Christian Nambu for no- joining me. Thank you all so much for listening every week. And remember, if you like what you're hearing, follow us and subscribe and check us out on all your favorite social channels from Twitter to TikTok. We are everywhere at Coast to Coast NBA. And remember, take every shot and love every moment. Peace.